Do we have a water? Do we have waters in Lapine? <laughs> David's on it. All right. Let's see. All right. As we continue our series today in Ecclesiastes, I might invite you to grab your Bible uh, if you don't already have it. Um, we find the author who calls himself here the preacher continuing to praise wisdom over and against foolishness. Um, one of the reasons I love Ecclesiastes um, or wisdom literature in general um, is that it, it tells us what the wise looks like and it tells us what the fool looks like, which is good because fools don't know that they're foolish, right? And I think there are areas in our lives where we, we are foolish um, or act foolishly or make foolish decisions, and it takes the word of God um, to open our eyes to it and to correct us. Um, and so we welcome that opportunity today. I pray that we would be challenged um, by this text and, and corrected where we need to be. Thanks. No. Okay. Let's just do that. All right, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. We're finishing out the chapter today. Verses 12 to 20. And in our section today, we're going to hear the preacher on two topics. Um, the first one is the words of the wise and the foolish. And the second one is the right or wise way to enjoy God's gifts. So our text starts here with a few proverbs about our words, right? And if you've, if you've read your Bible much, you'll, you'll know that the Bible speaks often about the words that we use. From the wisdom literature of the Psalms and the, the Proverbs and even here in Ecclesiastes, um, through the Gospels and the letters found in the New Testament, um, the words that we speak is a common thread all throughout Scripture. And why, why do you think that is? I kind of thought about this this week. Why is this such a common topic for our Bibles, the words that we speak? And I think it's because our words have power, right? They can build up. They can destroy, right? With the same mouths, we worship God and sing his praises this morning and maybe later say something hurtful to a spouse or, or someone else. Like We have tremendous power with our words. And as we kind of go through our verses today, I'll pepper in a few Proverbs from the book of Proverbs as we consider how to be wise with our words. So let's start in verse 12. It says, The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. Now, I'm reading today from the ESV, but you'll notice um, that many other translations choose to translate this like the NASB does. Something like, words from the mouth of a wise person are gracious. Right? And I think both of these kind of ideas are present. The idea here is that the words of a wise person actually give grace to the hearer. Right? When a wise person opens their mouth, their words are of benefit to others. They consider others before they speak. They're careful when they speak. And not only that, but they consider the Lord, right? How would God have them respond? Or what would Christ say in this situation? The wise speak gently, but not without truth, right? And what a struggle that is for us. I know it is for me. The scriptures tell us to speak the truth in love. And we're pretty good at doing one or the other, 
right? We're pretty good at speaking love. If, if, if love is like being nice and ignoring issues, right? Like I'm pretty good at that. Um, I'm really good at speaking truth though, especially truth without so much love, right? Dropping truth bombs, we like to call it. We love to do that, but speaking truth in love um, graciously, it's harder for us. But here it says that the words of a wise, or the words out of the mouth of a wise person are gracious. So this careful and considerate way of sharing truth and love with others has an effect on the people around them as well. Can you think of someone in your life who is wise like this, wise with their words? I can think of some. People who, when they speak, they they bless the person they're speaking to. You know, you look forward to talking with them. When they speak, it, it makes you want to be around them. Makes you want to hear what they have to say. Makes you want to go to them if you have a problem. The way they speak is just a blessing to everyone they interact with. So at the same time, our verse says that the wise person's words, the wise person's words are both gracious and also, as ESV says, win them favor. It draws people in. Proverbs 16.24 says this, Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. So the words of the wise are filled with grace and are sweet to the hearer. But the lips of a fool, the preacher says, consume him. So in contrast with the wise, whose words are filled with benefits for others, the lips of a fool provide no benefit to others and instead consume the person who speaks. So words can build up and they can destroy, and there are many different ways um, I think our words can consume us, right? Sometimes we speak and our words bring us shame or regret, right? We say something we really wish we didn't say, um, we, say, we say something that later we're just ashamed of. I don't know. I was going to say, I don't know if you've ever done that, but I know you've all done that. Um, you know, sometimes I'll say something and then I'll, I'll be laying in bed that night or even like a week later and I'll remember what I said. I'm like, why did I say that? Like, what? Why did I feel like that needed to be said, right? And my words consume me. We can face consequences for our words. Seems like this is kind of almost every day in the news, right? Where it's filled with stories of people getting into trouble for something they said, maybe even years ago. Maybe they're not even alive anymore, um, and we're hearing about something messed up they said. Like, our words have consequences. They can bring life to people, or they can destroy others and ourselves. Now, my words are something I've struggled with since I first learned to speak. This is an area um, where God's still kind of working on me um, throughout my life. You know, if, if it's the right time to say something, you know, or if something ever even needs to be said at all is something I struggle with. Uh, it's not always clear to me, and sometimes it costs me, right? Sometimes my words consume me. Uh, I'm sure we all have stories where we said something um, that got us into trouble, 
one that stands out in my mind from my life um, is when I was nine and our family went on a vacation to the Colorado River and after a long car ride um, of sitting still, which I wasn't very good at, um, we, we got out of the car and we checked into the hotel and as soon as we got into the room, I couldn't wait to turn the TV on and I grabbed the remote off the bed and I hit on and as the screen's kind of, you know, warming up and, and the picture's coming on the screen, I see an old woman. And without thinking or, like, processing what I was saying, before I, before I even knew what was going on, I heard myself say the words, who's this old geezer? You know, trying to, trying to make my family laugh um, and amuse myself. Who's this old geezer? Well, normally this probably would have been ignored by my parents, right? They would have just been like, oh, whatever, like, let's go. It's time to go get lunch. We're all hungry. You know, they would have just ignored it. But it matters who this old woman um, was. And it turns out it was Mother Teresa, which is messed up, right? So I never see my parents um, go from Lutherans to like devout Catholics so fast. <laughs> they were so offended that I just like made fun of Mother Teresa. And it is, a, it is really weird. Like I think about it a lot and I'll, it'll explain why in a second. But this woman dedicates her life to serving the poor and sick in the slums of Calcutta, right? And on the other side of the world, this like nine-year-old whippersnapper just like dissed her without a second thought. Like it's, it is messed up. And my, my parents are very upset about it. And it was quickly decided that my brother and sister would go with my mom and they would go find some food. And I would stand in the corner in punishment um, for a while while my dad, uh, I guess, waited to join them. And I'm kind of standing in the corner and I'm thinking like, how did this happen? Like it was just a second ago we just got here. Like it all happened so fast. And I'm, I'm just thinking, man, I really need to start like being a little more careful with the things that come out of my mouth. And I'm, I'm trying to like learn this lesson. I'm standing there. And after about like 10 minutes, I'm like, man, I've been in time out like a long time. And I turn around and my dad's asleep. <laughs> and I stood in the corner for what felt like an hour. I, it could have been like 20 minutes. I don't know. But like, it's messed up. And I, I tell the, <laughs> the reason I bring up him being asleep is like, I remember this happening and I like learned that it was like God's sovereignty, right? Like I learned the lesson, kind of, I mean, I remember it because he fell asleep. Like if I was just out of time out in five minutes, there's no way I would remember, you know, that thing happening. But to this day, I kind of bring it up. I'm like, remember when you fell asleep, when you put me on time out? <laughs> I think he bought me ice cream after to make it up. But Proverbs 29, 20 says this. Do you see someone who speaks too soon? There is more hope for a fool than him. Which is pretty rough because like a fool isn't like someone there's a lot of hope for if you, if you read Proverbs, right? It's like there's the wise and that's good and there's a fool and that's bad. But like more hope for a fool than someone who speaks too soon. Like that's, that should give us pause. Like verses like this, kind of make me feel like a punching bag, right? As I, as I kind of read these Proverbs about um, the wise, wise words and, and foolish words this week, I just felt like, oh, man, it was like one after another. Like, this is rough. I need to be more careful, you know, with my words. Um, because I'm getting better, but I, I still struggle with this, right? People around me um, assure me that I'm getting better, uh, that I'm watching my words and showing more wisdom, but it, it's a slow road. And so if you struggle with your words, here's a tip straight out of the Bible. Just say less, okay? 
It's, it's oh, was that the tip? Just, that's the tip. Just right there. Just say less. Okay, now, I don't normally quote from the Message Bible from the front here. I don't know if this, this is allowed. It's not usually allowed. Um, but Proverbs 21, 23 is kind of worth it here. It says, watch your words and hold your tongue and you'll save yourself a lot of grief. Yes. Just say less. If you struggle with your words like I do, just spend a season actively trying to hold your tongue, right? If someone says something wrong or that you don't like or, you know, something kind of dumb, just don't respond, right? Keep it to yourself because once you speak, you can't take those words back. Once the words are said, they're out there. And as you live kind of in a digital age, right, if this is true in person, there are words, you know, can't return to us, um, or in fact do return to us often, and get us into trouble. Just think of how much more true this is online, right? On our interactions on Facebook or next door or whatever. I refuse to get on there. I don't even think I'm allowed because I'm out of the house, but never mind. We'll talk about it later. I don't. <laughs> um, all right. I once heard, um, thinking about how our words, um, once they're said, they can't be unsaid. I once heard an example. Um, of this, of someone going up on top of the Empire State Building with a goose down feather pillow, right, and cutting it open and just shaking all the feathers out in the wind um, and then trying to get all those feathers back, right? Like, that's, that's what our words are like. You know, you can't, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, as they say. Um, you're never going to get all those feathers back, and it, it's it's a one-way trip, and we should think of our words like that as they come out of our mouth, like things can't be unsaid. All right, and we're given an example of this in verse 20. We're going to kind of jump ahead here for a second, but don't worry, we're going to come back. Um, in verse 20, it says, Even in your thoughts, do not curse the king, nor in your bedroom, curse the rich, for the bird of the air will carry your voice or some winged creature tell the matter. So the message here is to be wise about what you say about those in authority, right? Be careful what you even think, because they might hear about it and punish you for it. Now, I think this is kind of a hard one for us to understand as Americans, as it seems like many of us have kind of like a part-time job in criticizing the government. I know I do. Um, some, yeah. <laughs> Some people treat it like a full-time job. Huh? We have little fear of the government, right, because we're prepared or protected, excuse me, with the, by the First Amendment to kind of say what we want. I mean, just driving around t town here, I see bumper stickers with people's thoughts on the governor or whoever else that I can't repeat from up here. You know, it, in Solomon's day, the, the words about the king had consequences, Right? A wise person would be careful what they said or even thought because it might cost them their life. Now, we don't live in that fear, but perhaps we should consider carefully the way we speak about those who are in authority over us. Our words have consequences. In our society where we don't fear the king um, or fear the leaders above us, maybe the consequences for our words comes at the expense of our witness, right? Perhaps the way we share our thoughts about our leaders will have consequences when we turn to speak to people about our Savior. Maybe sometimes we close down the opportunity to tell people 
the truth about Jesus because we've built a wall between us and them with our opinions. You know, are my words gracious even when I'm speaking to or about people I disagree with? I think this is something for us to consider here today. Let's continue in verse 13 where it says, The beginning of the words of his mouth is foolishness, and the end of his talk is evil madness. Now, fool's words often go from bad to worse, right? Maybe it starts with something silly or kind of dumb, but over time it descends into sin and wickedness, evil madness, it says here. This description speaks not only to how morally wrong the speech is, but also how just kind of totally insane it can get. It moves from harmless claims and opinions to unhinged craziness. They start with a little kind of white lie um, or a bold statement about something they don't really know anything about, and sooner or later they're spiraling into destructive evil and actually sinning. And we've seen this, right? Sometimes a, a fool tests the waters by saying a small lie or um, speaking about something they can't possibly know about. Um, and if accepted, they, they often move on to bigger and bolder claims. And just what are these claims? Like, what does the foolish person talk about? Well, the preacher's going to tell us here. He continues in verse 14 by saying this. A fool multiplies words, though no man knows what is to be. And who can tell him what will be after him? See, one of the marks of a fool is that they are always talking and never listening. Always wanting to be heard, but never wanting to learn from others. They have many opinions about others, but little awareness about themselves. In Proverbs 10.19, it says this, Where there are many words... Sin is unavoidable. Say less, right? (laughs) But the one who controls his lips is wise. Another mark of the fool here that we see is they are experts on the future. I'm always talking about what's coming. Even though the preacher reminds us here that no man knows what is to be and who can tell him what will be after him. So we see the fool wanders into God's territory and speculates on that which only God knows. That's why I think in James 4, James warns us about this where he says, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and make trade and profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought, excuse me, ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. Seems like he's read Ecclesiastes, right? What is your life? You're a mist that appears and then vanishes. The future belongs to God. And it's foolish to spend our time boasting about future successes or accomplishments at the expense of our responsibilities here and now especially at the expense of the mission that God's given us to share his truth and love with others. And we continue in verse 15. It says, 
The toil of a fool wearies him, for he does not know the way to the city. And if connected to the previous Proverbs, I think the toil here is the constant babbling of the fool, always trying to figure out what what the future is. Um, They exhaust themselves with many words and delusions. And they're exhausted, it says, because they don't know the way to the city, um, which I had looked this one up. I was like, what does that even mean? Uh, which is just, it's an excellent ancient way of saying they don't know how to land the plane. Right? In ancient times, there was a common phrase, it's as plain as the road to the city, which was wide and obvious and well-traveled. Right? Everyone knew where it was because they had to. But the picture here is of a person who keeps missing the road and never getting where he's trying to get to. So they tire themselves out trying to share foolish ideas and being unable to even get to the point. Now the preacher here is going to shift topics. Um, So before we move on in our text, let's sum up the preacher's counsel on our words. Um, The words of the wise give grace to others and win favor. They bring life to the hearer. Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, echoes what we're reading today where he says this. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And like I said, I'm, I'm still learning this myself, right? I'm a work in progress. Sometimes during table talk, which if you haven't seen it, it's kind of a weekly YouTube Uh, video the pastors do they let me sit in on it and I'll be sitting there kind of like smirking to myself sometimes because I thought of something that's funny and I'm sitting there trying to figure out if this thing that just popped in my head needs to be said or not and usually the answer is no so I'm just kind of sitting there like smiling to myself and the way we sit David's here and Chad's here and Brent's over there and I'm always just kind of smiling and the only person I can see like face to face is Brent and he's always looking at me like, why is Jordan like smirking at me? And why is, what is so funny? We're talking about the Bible. Like, what could be so funny? Um, I'm getting better at it. And, and I know I'm getting better because sometimes after, Brent will be like, what were you smiling about? And I'll tell him like, oh, you said this. And I started thinking about this. And, and usually the answer <laughs> in unison from all the passages is like, good job not saying that because that didn't need to be said. And it's like, yeah, sanctification's real. So um, I'm getting better, and I want to be better, right? We should, we should want to be better with our words, right? I want God to work a change in my heart that changes the words that come out of my mouth. And God has given me new life through his son. I want to build others up with my words and give them life. I want my words to work for God and be useful for pointing others towards the Lord who has done so much for me. All right, let's move on to verse 16 here. Where it says this, we're actually going to take a couple verses here. It says, Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility, and your your princes feast at the proper time, for strength and not for drunkenness. 
through, through sloth, the roof sinks in, and through indolence, the house leaks. All right. So it's, what he's saying here is it's not good for the people if their ruler is a child. And the word here for child doesn't necessarily, um, isn't limited to age, but also maturity, right? Um, it speaks to someone who hasn't necessarily fully developed into leadership, um, which could be a child or just someone who's immature. So when, when the person who's in the position of king is unable or unwilling, right, to do their job, the people suffer. When they use their position to indulge their desires and enrich themselves, the country falls apart. In the Old Testament, we see that Israel's prosperity is often tied to how closely their king walks with God. Not in how perfect they are at keeping the law, or, but rather how tight their relationship is with their Lord. David, who's really the biblical picture of a good king, right, sinned in major ways, but was described by God as a man after my own heart. So we see that a good king is a blessing to the people. The country is blessed when its rulers get up early to improve the lives of the people and to protect them. In a world where many leaders neglect their responsibilities and instead serve themselves and the interests of a few, we can't help but be reminded of the perfect king that we have in Christ. The preacher says, Happy are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobility. Which just means the son of noble birth, right? A commentary I read this week pointed out that Christ is the son of nobility twice over. First, he's the son of David, right? So he's born into the king's bloodline. So Christ, fully human, is the son of a king, son of the king. And second, Christ is the very son of God from all eternity. So Christ, fully God, is the son of our father in heaven. He's the perfect king that Israel longed for, that was, that was promised long before to God's people, the one who would rule forever. And when he came, the gospels tell us that he came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so we have a perfect king in Christ. He fulfilled the will of the Father by giving his own life as a ransom for us. I think another important point to notice here is that it isn't feasting or wine that is condemned, right? God made both. But instead, it's the timing, the amount, and the reason for the feast. So there is a right way and a right time to enjoy God's good gifts. Yes, some can even enjoy alcohol. Verse 17 says that the land is blessed when the princes feast at the proper time and for strength. Dude, play it louder. Yeah, I might dance for you. Um, not for drunkenness, which is condemned throughout the Bible. Um, when the leaders neglect this council and instead serve themselves, the roof seeks, sinks in and the house leaks. It's hard to work right after a feast, right? And that's what was going on. 
in this picture. No one plans to build a shed after Thanksgiving dinner, right? We just take a nap and blame the turkey. And it's tough to get anything good accomplished if you're drunk. Make a lifestyle out of this, and soon enough, everything falls apart. And the truth is that we, too, struggle at times to enjoy God's gifts rightly. Right? Food and wine are for strength and enjoyment, but they must be used responsibly and at the proper time. And the preacher continues this thought in verse 19. Where it says this, it says, Bread is made for laughter, and wine gladdens life, and money answers everything. Now each line in this proverb kind of builds on the one before it, right? Bread is our, you know, our daily bread. It's needed every single day. Wine helps us to enjoy our lives. It says that it gladdens our life. But money can buy both and whatever else the world has to offer, right? Money answers everything, which doesn't like sound like a biblical phrase necessarily. Um, but the truth is, is that under the sun, like money can solve many problems, Right? It answers many of the problems we face under the sun. You know, there are times in my life where I didn't have money and my car broke down, right? And it's, it's a catastrophe, right? It throws everything into a spiral. It's filled with anxiety and, and fear and like, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to repair this car? I'm sure many of us have had that experience. Um, and there's times where I did have money and the car broke down. And it's just like, it's an inconvenience, but it's not like... It's not going to throw me into debt and like, you know, a bunch of problems in my life. Like money answers a lot of things. And this can easily lead us to trusting money or to thinking that we are secure when we have a lot of it. But this is an illusion. Right? Scripture warns us of that thinking often. Thinking that money buys everything we need is a common mistake for us. But there are things that money cannot buy. And that sounds like a cliche, but it's true. Now, money can buy bread, right? We know, however, that man does not live on bread alone. Who said that? It's a trick question. It was Moses first. So I want to see if I could trick anybody. I heard some whispering. Now I made Randy feel bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, Moses said it first, and Jesus quotes him when he's being tempted in the desert. Right, it's a trick question. Um, in Deuteronomy, we have a sermon from Moses to Israel as they're preparing to go into the promised land. And Moses is kind of reminding them of everything God had done for them and who the Lord was. And he tells them that God humbled them, causing them to hunger and then feeding them with manna. He tells them the reason God did this was to teach them that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is something we need to learn, right? As beings, we are not only, only physical, but we are spiritual. We do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So what's the takeaway today? Um, how do we understand these two topics as Christians, as followers of Jesus? I think Paul really helps us with this in Colossians 3, where he says this. He says, whatever you do in word or deed, 
That means whatever we speak, whatever we eat, whatever we drink, whatever we do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the God, to God the Father through him. So when we speak, we want to share wise words with people. right? We want to, want to speak words that give life. We want to share the words of eternal life. We remember that scene in John 6 where many people, because Jesus had spoken difficult things, many people left him and stopped following him. And he turns around to his disciples and he says to them, are you going to leave as well? And what did they say? They said, to whom, Lord, shall we go? For you have the words of eternal life. From Christ we have, re- we have received the words of eternal life. The good news of a God who loves us so much that he sent his only son to die so we can have new life through faith in him. Taking our sins, taking our, our careless and hurtful words, taking the times that we indulged in the things the world has to offer without thinking of the creator and nailing them to the cross where Christ's blood was poured out on our behalf. And it's the cross where Jesus, knowing all things had been fulfilled, that all things had been accomplished, that his mission was finished. He cried out maybe the most life-changing words ever spoken. And he said, it is finished. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for giving us the words of eternal life. We thank you for all the good gifts that you've given us. Help us to make the most of these gifts. Help us to make the most of every opportunity, Lord, to share the story of Jesus with others. That they might learn to worship you and call you Lord as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.